We're making our way through the book of Galatians. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So you can destroy one another by what you say to one another. What I want to say tonight has a way of separating the men from the boys, the women from the girls, the adults from the adolescents, the mature from the immature. The cry of the adolescent is, I want my freedom, I want my rights, I want them all, I want it now. I want to exercise my freedom now. To say that is not to understand that the problem is that that's a mature response. That maturity doesn't mean that you can flaunt your freedom and flaunt your liberty, but maturity suggests that you restrain your liberty out of love. Now I want to read some verses back to back. So here they are, the 14th chapter of Romans, turn to that chapter, beginning at 13, put your finger there, a little marker there, a little pinky. Then turn to Galatians, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. It's really hard to turn to these verses unless you have a Bible. I found it really difficult. <laughs> Most people have not memorized these verses. So please bring your Bible. I'm feeling a little bit uh, feisty tonight because I made it through today. And I'm proud of it. First, First Peter chapter 2. So you got these three places and I'm going to uh, read back to back. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now to Romans. We start there and we'll read without stopping. You need to follow along with me. Everybody ready? I guess that means a yes. Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. This is what we've determined. Not to put a stumbling block, an obstacle, in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food, for the sake of what you want to eat. has to do with meat offered to idols. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I love this passage. I spoke to BSU's Thursday night, and we talked about this passage here. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. He's talking about the Jews. To those who are without the law, that is the Gentile, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some, win some. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. The one thing that is common in these passages is the bondage of love. Now without denying the value of one's freedom, one's liberty, without denying that, the common thread of these verses is this, that we are to set limits on our liberty because of our love for other people. It is, it is important to understand the value of liberty. And yet, liberty is like this diamond. We used this analogy last week. This diamond is not to be hoarded. It's to be shared with others. It's precious is this liberty that we have in Christ, but it is not to be protected. It is to be protected from thieves, but it is not to be hoarded. It's to be broken up and enjoyed by many as a source of encouragement. Occasionally, I will run across some people who have this attitude. So what if he doesn't understand? I have only to answer to God. 
But when you look at the life of the apostle, a man who had the absolute confidence of his liberty, he put limitations on that liberty and he insisted that limitations must be placed upon one's liberty because of his love for others. That's what you find in Romans 14. And that's what you find in 1 Corinthians. And that's what you see in this nutshell of thought. Now I think we need to understand where we are at this point. Necessary but just a moment of review. Paul is hammering home the liberty, the freedom that one has in Christ. As a matter of fact, he kind of overkills it, really. A Christian is free, he said. A Christian is liberated in Christ. And to believe anything else, he says, is to fall from the grace mentality. And what he means by this is that when a person receives Jesus Christ, he's free. He doesn't live by a set of rules. And he doesn't get up in the morning and check out the rules that he's supposed to follow. And there are no, you know, set of standards that, you know, that are rules or by which others judge him. And, and he doesn't check off every day, I did this and I did that and I followed this rule and that rule. And he doesn't live by that standard, of that, those, uh, that system of rules and, and measures. He's free. He says that he is called to freedom, and that means several things. It means that he's free from the overwhelming power of sin and the devil. That before Christ we were victims and we walked according to the old nature. But when we are born again, we are free from the power of sin and the evil one. As we uh, prepared for baptism tonight, I know Steve wouldn't mind me sharing this, but... There's just something wonderful that's gone on in, in, in this young man's life. I, I have a great excitement in my heart about what's ahead of him. He was telling me just before we got ready, was getting ready for, to, to be baptized, he said, you know, another thing I wanted to share with you about what has happened to me. He said, I've always been very um, afraid to stand up before people and shy, you know, about being in public, stand up before others in public. He said, this morning, I wasn't even afraid. Um, all of a sudden, there's some kind of change occurs when we receive Christ, the overwhelming power of God over everything that defeats us. And it means that we have freedom to obey the commands of the Lord. We didn't have that before Christ. We have the, the equipment to obey Him. Before Christ, we tried to live like we, 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 we should live, and we... We did our best to, to, to please God and obey Him, but we didn't have the ability to do that. We didn't have the equipment to do that. And so we received Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden we have the ability to obey Him, and His commands become lovable things to us. It means that we are free from um, eternal punishment. So that if God doesn't punish His Son, He'll never punish me. If He doesn't condemn His Son, He'll never condemn me because I'm in Him. It means that I have freedom to come boldly in prayer to God. We're called to freedom. But it also means that every person in the family of God has the same freedom. No one has any more freedom than the other. And so we all recognize that we have to put limitations upon the freedom that we have. 
is the implication. The implication then is, am I free to do anything I want to? Am I free to do as I please? Am I free regardless? Am I free to sin? I don't have any people I had just say to me, well, if I believe like you Baptists, man, that'd be, the, that'd just be more fun. Because you, you, you go down there and join a Baptist church, walk down a Baptist aisle, then you just be free to do anything you want to after that. You believe in one saved, always saved. Does it mean that? No, it doesn't mean that I'm free to do as I please or free regardless or free to sin. Paul says in Romans 6, may it never be. So we come to these verses to find the right kind of limitations that we're to, be, we're to place on liberty. And there are three of them if you're following in your notes. Three specific areas of restraint from chapter 5, verse 3. Number one, we're not free to indulge. We're not free to indulge. Now we need to do a little word to study with verse 13. One of the words we need to take a look at is the word flesh. Chapter 5, verse 13. For don't, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Now in the New Testament, you, you know this. I'm just reminding you, the flesh doesn't refer to this, this meat on our bones. It refers to the old sin nature, the fallen nature. And when a person becomes a believer, the fallen nature, the old sin nature, is not eradicated. Now there are two or three lines of thinking. One line of thinking is that when you become a believer, the old sin nature is immediately eradicated. There is a second line of thinking is that the old sin nature is progressively eradicated, that you move toward the eradication of the old sin nature. There is a third line of thinking, which is my humble and accurate opinion, is correct, is that you carry the old sin nature through life. And that there exist in all of us, coexist two natures, the fallen nature and the nature of God. There's a second word that needs to be studied, and that's the word opportunity. Don't give, he says, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity. That word's a military term. It refers to a base of launching, a base where, where one launches an, uh, an offensive, an operation. And so we watched on television, CNN News, as these great jet airplanes would leave those air bases and head out toward Iraq, and they were launched from these basis of operation. Now this is what Paul is saying. Don't use the freedom you have in Christ as a base to launch the activity of the old sin nature. Don't use your liberty as a launching place of the flesh. That's not liberty, that is license. Let me skip down to verse 24 and catch that. Now to those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And what he's saying is this, that there are two kinds of bondages. There is a bondage to legalism and there is a bondage to license. And the believer puts this limitation on his liberty. He daily brings his his spirit, his life, 
his desires to the cross again and he renews the crucifixion again and again. He crucifies the old sin nature again. All right, second, verse 13. Christian freedom is not a freedom to exploit others. Love is selfless. Love is other personness. And all of a sudden, when a person receives Jesus Christ, he's changed from the role of authority to the role of a servant. And the whole frame of reference of his life is a change from the want to control others to the want to serve others. Now there's something wrong with the Christianity of a person who wants to control others. The experience of, of, of Christ in his life creates a new frame of reference so that he wants to serve others. He becomes the, he has the servant mentality. He has the servant mind and he desires to serve others. Martin Buber has one, I believe, what is one of the most um, influential books ever written. It's just a little bitty, um, some people call it a poem. It's called I Thou. And Martin Buber, Buber says that there are two kinds of transactions that go on in life, two ways that people relate to the creation. Some of them relate to it in this way. It's I, thou, and they see everything as living things, and they relate to everything as a living thing, not just to people, but the creation around them. Martin Buber's contention, you take that, the philosophy of Martin Buber and extend it on out, and he'd say the reason why we are polluting our atmosphere and destroying our environment is because we see the creation as an it to serve us. And he says you can even relate to, to a flower or to a cat. He uses those two analogies in the I-thou relationship. And you see everything is a living thing with life. Even the planets that you, even the stars, even the creation around you, you see them as living things and you relate to them as living things. Or he says you can relate to the world around you as in, in the philosophy of the I-it. So that means that I see you and the things in my world as something I want to exploit and use to satisfy and fulfill me. What a fantastic book. The whole theme is there's that the person who has encountered the living Christ begins to relate to others in the I-thou relationship and he is not there to exploit them or use them. He's there to serve them. And uh, whatever else happened out in Los Angeles this week, and I'm, I'm you know, somewhat disturbed about the brutality of our racism, and it does exist, but I'm not sure that everything went on was a, a matter of racism. I think some people use that as an opportunity to loot and pillage and steal. And this whole philosophy that what is yours is mine and I'll take it 
is totally alien to the limitation that is placed on our liberty, the limitation of love, so that I am here to serve you and what you need is my desire. That's the idea. There is a third. He says that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. And so here is the third limitation. Christian freedom is not freedom to disregard the needs of others. It is not the freedom to disregard the needs of others. Folks, you and I do not have the option to meet the needs of others or not meet their needs. That is not an option. You you don't have the choice to say to yourself, well, he has a need. I don't know whether I'll I'll meet it today if I want to or, or not. You don't have that option. As a believer in Christ, our freedom means that we have a responsibility to meet the needs of others and cannot, you know, cannot re- ignore that. Now there needs to be some balance, so I want you to turn back to chapter 14 of Romans to get the balance. Now the question is, and, it, and, 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 and this is a um, heavy question and a in a, in a um, difficult one. Is it, how do I, you know, how can I exercise my liberty, my freedom, and still um, uh, demonstrate the law of love? And where is the balance? I mean, do I just forget about my needs and, and live my whole life for somebody else? What is the balance there? Well, Romans 14 gives us the balance. What do I have the right to do? Number one, verse 15 of Romans 14. When my liberty could hurt my brother, I yield. When my liberty could hurt my brother, I yield. Now there are some things that are not, you know, some people have an absolute deep conviction that this is not wrong. It's not wrong to do this. And we get into all kinds of debates, youth, youth debates and adult debates with regard to is this, should I do this or should I not? Now I'm not talking about the legalist who is there nitpicking and keeping score on what you do. Uh, these folks from Seminole, if I call this guy's name, they'd know him immediately. He got all upset when I was pastor at Seminole because I had a CB. You know, back then there was a CB craze, you know, my handle was high noon. Boy, I mean, you go up and down the road, that's all you could do, just listening to these guys with these weird, this weird vocabulary that everybody developed. Hey, good buddy, you know, all that good stuff. And this guy came up to me one day, he said, I, I'm just going, I'm pretty upset at you. I said, well, I'm so sorry. You know, tell me about it. He said, well, I just don't believe that you ought to have a CB. I said, okay. (laughs) Tell me why. He said, well, you're supposed to go by the speed limit. And the only reason you got that CB is so you can break the speed limit and not get caught. Of course, I told him the reason I had that CB was in case I had an emergency. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got sick or something, I can call in. That's the only reason I had that CB. Now, 
Now, am I going to rip that CB out of my car and not ever use that CB? If that hurts my brother, really hurts my brother, I am. If he is a legalist who is picking net off of my coat and keeping score on what I do, I don't. Now, here's the catch. If there is a brother, who, a brother who is genuinely going to be hurt by something you do, and his Christian faith is going to be hurt by something you do, you yield. All right, number two. When my liberty, this is verse 19, 16 through 19, 16 and 19. When my liberty would hinder God's work, I yield. When it would hinder God's work. No, I'm not going to be more specific. That's up to you. Now there's some people who believe that you hinder God's work if you have a TV in your house. I personally don't believe that it's hindering God's work to have a TV. Billy Graham's on TV. <laughs> I mean, the whole world hears Billy Graham on TV. Now if, but if you feel that that hinders God's work, then your liberty ceases. Number three, here it is. Verse 23, when my liberty creates unrest in my own conscience, I yield. When my conscience beats away in me like a heartbeat, I yield. In other words, if when I do this, I feel in my conscience, I'd call it, in my spirit perhaps, this is wrong then I don't do it. Can I do this and not feel in my heart and mind that I am out of line? And if I have to admit that I got a little bit of a problem with it in myself and I'm not really sure, then if I'm not, then I quit. One last statement. When love is at work, the Spirit of God gives joy in restraint. Let me say that again. When, where love is at work, the Spirit of God gives joy in restraint. Now what that means is, what I'm saying is, is that when you're living your life in love, love for others, you would otherwise. The Spirit of God gives joy in the restraint of that. And it's not a burden. It's a delight. You know what I'm talking about? I see. I may have lost you back up there in point one, evidently. Now, I said that this teaching has a way of separating the mature from the immature. Because to practice the limitation of love is the practice of a mature Christian. Let's pray together. Father, 
I thank you so much that you've given us as a guide, as a light, your word. Helps us to understand so many questions that we've not understood before. Grant us now, not new understanding, but obedience to the present knowledge. For I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. I'd like to give three invitations tonight. I'd like to give an invitation for people to come and accept Christ as their personal Savior. Oh, what freedom He brings, He gives. You can walk out of here tonight free from the fear of death, free from the judgment of God, free to live for Him and obey Him and love it, free to serve Him and free to give your life to others and find joy in that. You can know the Lord Jesus by faith and trust in Him. I'd like to give you an invitation to join this church or to recommit your life to Christ, up that to a new level, that commitment, or to the old level you've left behind. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.